This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So today um, we're going to be talking about missions. Why be a missionary? Why would anyone choose to become uh, a missionary? Now, over the, the course of the seminar, the six sessions, we'll be every day discussing or answering one key question. Today is, why would anyone choose to be a missionary? Um, we'll talk about the next session, which I guess is tomorrow morning, will be, who? Who does God call to be a missionary? Uh, and then after that, we'll talk about how. How to be a missionary, how to prepare to be a missionary. Has anyone ever done mission service here before? Probably a lot of people. Good. Short-term, long-term, how many have done long-term? A year or more? Good. Very good. Um, and has anyone been on a short-term mission trip? Good. Okay. Very good. And so we'll talk about um, why today, what, where. We'll talk a little bit about where, where to be a missionary. And you'll see why the, you'll see why the why is connected to the where. It's a funny sentence, but we'll see the answer to that in a minute. And then... Um, Finally, the sixth session, we'll talk about the what. What is it that we work for as missionaries? Uh, We'll look at the second coming of Christ from the the perspective of a cross-cultural missionary. I think it'll be a little different, and hopefully it'll be uh, a blessing to you. And I hope that this seminar is a blessing to any of you who are considering um, making mission service a part of life, maybe a career choice. Do you still make career choice to be a missionary? Can you do that? Yeah, it's possible. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit too. But before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Now, I'm up here on a perch. I guess I'm kind of bound to this podium here for today. We'll try to solve that in the future. So excuse me that I'm above you here. And let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of looking at the needs around the world for missionaries. I pray, dear Father, that you'd move me out of the way as we we discuss together, as we talk. We pray that you would um, guide our minds, and I pray that you would uh, inspire each of us with what we can do, even now, to share the gospel with those who need it most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here at the outset, I I guess I should say, as you know, this is essentially about foreign missions, and, but I think you know that the principles we'll talk about here should be applicable wherever you are uh, in ministry. But the context is uh, foreign uh, missions. This map is a very interesting map. Every year, um, a couple of organizations and magazines do uh, a study. And they call it the, the, the Failed State Index. They index all of the states in the world, and uh, um, according to 10 or 12 different measures. And a failed state is, is considered a, a, a place or a country where the government's having trouble taking care of its people. Um, there's a large bit of unrest. Talks about food security issues, you know, or do people have enough to eat? You know, a lot of, a lot of issues uh, that deal with I guess you could say hum- the humanitarian side of, of, of human life. Um, now, the people who do this are not necessarily Christians. They're just studying what the world is like um, and how people, the quality of life people have. So the failed state index, you know, you might find a country like, uh, that's presently at war um, in an area of the world where poverty is, ex- is extreme. You might find that at the top of the failed state index. The country has failed to be able to, to take care of its people. But what's very interesting is if you look at the failed state index, and this is what's, what really uh, got me to thinking, you look at that, the critical places in the world, are, the, the, the dark red is the, are the most critical, then the orange are, are fairly highly critical. Um, according to this, this index that has countries in crisis, is centered mostly around what area of the world? 
You've heard the term the 1040 window. That area of the world where most of the unreached people live, uh, where all of the resistant religions in the world live um, or inhabit, and where uh, there's highest incidence of poverty. Um, I mean, you can go on and on and on. The interesting thing here is that, you know, that you look at these maps. These are, these are not Christian people that do this. But if you look at this, this map does not show, it's just, you know, to us it's just colors, uh, pictures on a page, but they're real human stories there of suffering, physical suffering, um, familial suffering. Uh, you can go right down. Well, you may say, wait a minute, Mark, uh, there's suffering here. There's suffering everywhere. There, yeah, there is. But we're going to get to that point uh, in just a minute. But I think what is the most striking is the spiritual suffering that people have where they don't know Christ. And what we have lived and what we've understood from having uh, lived in a cross-cultural mission setting where people don't know about Christ for many years is the spiritual misunderstanding of God augments or adds to or worsens the other types of suffering that people endure. For some people in the world, you know, everybody in the world is trying to figure out why is there suffering in the world? Why is there why is there uh, such pain? Uh, what is the world coming to? And you and I possess the answers in the Bible. But in many places of the world where people don't have this orientation to the Bible, don't understand Christ, don't know uh, what, uh, that Jesus is coming soon, don't know the hope that we have, people are trying to figure out what's happening. And, you know, they don't, people don't really worry about, well, they're worried about the large issues. Why is there suffering? Why is there sin? Why is there trouble? But many people are trying to figure out, why is it that my uncle is sick and can't get better? I had one young man tell me uh, one time that uh, where in his people group, he said, when someone dies, when we put them in the coffin, we put a knife in their hands. What do you do that for? We put a knife in their hands because we want them to go in the afterlife and get the person who's done this to them. So the worldview increases the suffering because here are people trying to figure out what's happening in the world, major problems in life, and because they don't have an understanding of the Bible, understanding of God, and understanding of Christ, they do the best they can to explain these things. So, he said, we put a, a knife in their hands because we know that this person has died because someone's done something to them. Um, another type of suffering that we've lived with and seen, we lived in a, um, a Muslim country for many years, a decade. And I don't know that I've ever seen a family that practices polygamy that's happy. There may, be, there may be some that, that have a semblance of outward peace. But it's hard to describe to you when you go. We had friends that lived in a village. In fact, the family was the village. 33 children, one father, four wives. And every mother has her little brood. Of children. It's just like the story of Jacob all over again. You remember the competition in the family and, the, and the, the, the strife, mothers competing. You see the same thing. Suffering because, you see the same thing today in, in uh, polygamous families, suffering because of uh, worldview. Now, what's very interesting is um, the suffering doesn't just end with the competition and the strife. We remember in this one family, uh, this particular family I'm telling you about, the family was the village. There were a few other families in the village, but the main, main part of the village was this family, and the father was the village chief. But I remember, we remember uh, one day, one of the young ladies in the family had a terrible case of malaria. She'd gone to the local clinic, the local hospital. She couldn't be taken care of there. They, 
they told us, come pick her up and take her, uh, take her, they couldn't take care of her. She wasn't responding to treatment. So, uh, we kept telling the older brother, who's the responsible one in the family, now remember, this is a family with 33 kids, but this is one of the main, the older brothers in the family, he's looked to just below the father, and we said, go visit your sister in the hospital, take some things to her. He refused to go. Two days, he didn't go. Three days, he didn't go. And then we finally figured out the reason he didn't do that was because of this competition and strife and struggle. It, this sister was not his mother's daughter. So for some reason, connected to that, he wouldn't go. The suffering is increased because of worldview. Now, why would one want to be a missionary? People are suffering because of sin. If you could imagine with me uh, a house that's caving in on itself. You know, just some dilapidated old house. Get a picture in your mind. And the wind blows. You can hear it creaking. Something pops over there and a part of the house caves in. But the house is still kind of standing. This is the world today. It's just creaking, groaning under its own weight. And those suffering the most under this weight are those that don't know Christ. Why would one want to become a missionary? Um, before, I, b- before we get to the direct answer of that question, um, this, this, this picture here, this was home for us for, for a decade. Um, in fact, now this, this picture is off of this, one of these websites I was telling you about at the beginning, uh, this failed state index. This picture is, is from there. It's not a picture I took. And that, we couldn't take pictures at times like this. Um, we, we'd been arrested or beaten or whatever, or both, and had our camera confiscated. But that, one of those soldiers there, I know him. I know him from sight. I seen him around and, and had, haven't had dealings with him, but brushed shoulders with him. But here's a place, we're talking about human suffering. I, I was looking at this country online one day on, on YouTube and found a video of a wedding party. And I understood the language, the language was Susu, and I could understand what the people were saying. And it was during a time of, of unrest. And the people were... Um, dishing out food, and I guess someone was just taking video during a, during a wedding party, and people were dishing out the food because there's a big pot of rice and there's goat meat and other things there that the ladies are, are separating each for their, their children, and they're talking and trying to figure out how uh, to separate it. And in this video, all of a sudden you hear this pop, 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 pop. And I knew right away from having lived there what it was. It was machine gun fire. And the ladies begin to talk to each other um, at first, they weren't really, you know, too worried about the machine gun fire, but then they started to get heavy. Because, it, because it's a place there's, where there's always a lot of unrest, um, uh, you know, m- the military on the streets shooting in the air is, is, is quite common. And the ladies began to talk among themselves and said, you know what, we better run for cover. And then some said, no, 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 let's, let's get our rice first. Let's get our rice and food first. And if you can imagine a place where people have to, on a daily basis, make the decision between getting their food and finding their physical safety. Suffering, suffering, suffering. The world is suffering under the weight of sin. Um, Another country that um, I was just in recently, and I just got a phone call from there just a few days ago, I'm asking us to come back. Church membership in this country is, is all of 10. 10 people. Um, again, this is not a picture I took. Uh, just one that I pulled off of the internet. But this is uh, that country. People are suffering. Uh, here, I don't want to give too much away here. <laughs> but children... Uh, suffer uh, under the, the, the ideas of 
culture that's long-standing, but again, people don't know uh, the gospel. Well, you say, Mark, suffering exists all around the world, but here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to um, point out to you today. When I was pastoring in Virginia, I could walk out of my home and I could say, you know what? Someone who attends my church can, within a 50-mile radius, probably choose 20 or 25 churches that they could go to on any given Sabbath morning. Easily. And if you expand that to 100 miles, there may be 100 churches, maybe 50, maybe 75, I don't know, but a lot. Recently, I was in the country of Mali, and I took a taxi drive from Bamako to Conakry in, in Guinea. It's a 27-hour taxi drive, and nonstop. And you're stuffed up in these little bush taxis, and uh, this was just last month. And it's hot, and it's sweaty, and it's really fun, though. In, in one respect, it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's fun. If any of you guys have been in an African bush taxi, please, it's, it's an experience you'll never forget. Uh, you should do it at least once. Everyone should. But, you know, everybody's speaking different languages and having lived there for a long time, there are several languages that we picked up, and it's just fun. By the time you're finished, you're all crunched into this little taxi. By the time you're finished, you're all good friends. Um, and so we were, we're traveling across, and when we left Bamako early that morning, we, every three or four hours, we'd go through major cities. Major cities with hundreds of tens of thousands, some hundreds of thousands of people, some millions of people. None of them have yet, except with the exception of one, have heard the gospel. We stopped at some cities in the middle of the night, midnight, two in the morning, one in the morning. No missionaries. No presence of the gospel. Just... Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people suffering without a knowledge of Christ. So, so yes, there's suffering all over the world. But here we have, if you can excuse the, the expression, spiritual indigestion. You know, you go to the hotel room, what is there? There's a Gideon Bible. You can turn um, the radio on, satellite television, name it. We've got every resource at our command here. But in places like the ones I'd like to talk, I have, I'm talking to you about today, People don't have the opportunity to hear. So why would one want to be a missionary? Look at this quote from the pen of inspiration. Our world is a vast, now someone's going to help me with the pronunciation here, Lazar, laser house, a scene of misery that we dare not allow even our thoughts to dwell upon. So we've just touched lightly on it today. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible, yet God feels how much of it? He feels all of the suffering. Do you think God is suffering because of sin? Yes. God feels it all every day. In order to destroy sin and its results, he gave his best beloved as a missionary to this world, and he, look at this, and he has put it in our power, through cooperation with him, to do what? To bring this scene of misery to an end. Isn't that powerful? It is within our power. You know, sometimes we think, well, what can I really do? I'm just one small person. He's put it within our power, through cooperation with him, to bring this scene of misery to an end. That's a pretty, pretty powerful quote. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Um, I'm going to share with you one little story here. Go back to this picture here just for a second. Um, this one. In this particular country, where the membership is 10, the church elder and I, uh, there's a little church group there. Not a church, but church group. We were sitting in the living room of um, a lady. And we, her, her father came in. She brought her father from the interior of the country out in the desert because that time of year the desert is very hot. And she brought her, him to her home on the coast where it was a little cooler. And, and so her father was sitting with us. While we're sitting in this, this lady's living room, we're talking about pleasant things. Now, he... 
he spoke only Arabic, and we were speaking French, so she was translating for the elder and myself as the father was praising Allah that we were there. And, and then after some time visiting, she asked the father, she said, can you give us a few minutes? And he said, sure. He stepped out. And my, my mind did a little somersault. I said, oh, wait a minute here. Then I asked her, I said, does he know, does your father know that you are a Christian? Well, he knows that I follow Christ. He doesn't know that I attend church every week. And so we begin to talk to this lady who's separated from family, and, uh, but, but her, her father was there visiting for a while, but separated generally from family, and that gives her the ability to, to, to attend church. I said, how can we support you? How can we help you? You know what she did? What? And the, we're answering the question, why today? Why would anyone want to be a missionary? she pulls out of her Bible a crumpled Bible study. She straightens it up, and she says, Here, Pastor, this is what I have. I've been trying to teach. I have ten ladies who are studying the Bible with me. Their families don't know they're doing it. We need Bible studies in um, several languages. So I thought, wow. She said, If you can get us Bible studies. So we contacted several places around the world where they might have these studies in in Arabic and French and other places, but we couldn't find anything that quite fit her needs. There were just a couple things available. We we talked to some other people, and she doesn't. And you have to remember, many parts of the world, people are largely, and I want to be careful how I say this, but largely illiterate. So you don't want a long study that people um, can't read. Something very simple. So to make a long story short, uh, we, we went home, we worked on some studies in, in Arabic and French and, and sent them over and had the church uh, elder visit and went back to visit her and uh, sometime later, months later, and asked her, how are things going? How were the studies? She looked at me very honestly, and I have to admit that she said, uh, just remember, we're, we're babes here. We don't, so it was a little too much for her, a little too heavy. I said, oh. Back to the drawing board. Why would anyone want to be a missionary is a question today. Because people are suffering spiritually around the world. They need to know what you and I do. And God has put it within our power, according to the pen of inspiration, to um, bring this scene of misery to an end. Through cooperation with him. Just a Bible text you know very well. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he, Christ, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Friends, if you've traveled and been to other places where people do not know Christ, there's no other way to describe it than people are in spiritual bondage. So our motivation is what we've underlined already. And of course, we have the unmistakable mandate. Mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You'll notice that that does not say, let every creature come to you. They won't, they won't do it. They can't do it. They don't even know many times what to look for. It's Christ's command to his followers. Not that all are called to be ministers or missionaries, no, but I would say a lot more are called than are going. No, not everyone is called. That's right. You can serve God wherever you are. But a lot more people are called than are going as missionaries. Not all are called to be ministers or missionaries in the ordinary sense of the term, but all may be workers with him in giving the glad tidings to their fellow men. To all, great or small, learned or ignorant, old or young, the command is given. And finally, in view of this command, can we educate our sons and daughters for a life, you've, you've heard this before, I'm sure, of respectable conventionality, a life professedly Christian but lacking his self-sacrifice, a life on which the verdict of him who is truth, must be, I know you not. If we are to 
call ourselves Christians, we must consider the plight of those who have not yet heard the gospel. And you know, the the call should be intensely personal. Well, you say, well, yeah, maybe the Lord, I I feel no sense of desire to be a missionary, to go to the, the unreached. If we all say that, the unreached will remain the unreached and will be here uh, that much longer. Now, what I'd like to do for the main part of today is to study, we're talking about why, the motivation of being a missionary, uh, but I'd like to go to a study of Acts chapter 2 and draw out some principles, share with you some experiences, and then a colleague of mine is going to share uh, a story uh, with you. Um, and by the way, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hands um, and ask them. And then at the end, I'll, I'm here, uh, my wife is here, you can uh, ask any questions. We're here to talk, to share, or if you have questions you'd like us to answer publicly, you can write them down or, or come share them with us, and then in a, in a following session, uh, we'll discuss it. But um, as we talk about the why of becoming a missionary, we're going to get to that. But we need to do a little background here as we talk about uh, preparation. And we're going to look at Acts 2 from the perspective of the missionary call. Of course, um, the church that the Lord founded was first a missionary church. But hopefully, uh, this will be a little different way of looking at it, um, this, this story in chapter 2. And you, you know, uh, in fact, let me read it for you. Acts chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 to 4. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a couple things that are uh, really uh, stand out in this first section here. And they, as the people prepared uh, to carry forward the work that God had given them. The first was the act of preparation for, the first act of preparation for mission was to wait on the Lord. The Lord had promised that he would give his Holy Spirit. And if there's anything else that should rest on the mind of a missionary is that the condition of the world demands the Holy Spirit when you're going out to work. I'll never forget the day we arrived in um, Guinea. We had our two little girls with us. They were just, one was three and one was seven. And we got off, we had all, we'd sold off all of our belongings, we'd, we'd done months of fundraising, years of fundraising actually, and here we were in a place, majority, 96% resistant religion, very few Christians. We got off the airport, and what did we expect? Did we think the devil was going to roll out the red carpet for us? We came into the airport, and we were surrounded by people and the, the first thing that happened, the customs officials began, we had our little pile of bags and boxes there, the customs officials began to yell at us. We could barely speak the language then. What are you doing here? What is this? It was this as if the enemy was saying, why don't you climb or crawl right back on that plane and go back home? And I'll be honest with you, that's what I felt like doing. And for our first term, I can... I can Affirm for you, I hated the place. Hated it. I hated the people. I could not the people. I didn't hate the. I hated the culture. I couldn't understand the people. I hated uh, the unrest that we had to live through. I hated having to look up at night and see machine red uh, tracer bullets in the air and hearing uh, machine guns in the background. I hated that uh, there was always unrest and instability. I hated it. And when we got on the plane. For our first furlough, I said to myself, am I coming back to this place? But you know, the Holy Spirit needs to do a work on the heart of the missionary. 
as he prepares for service. That's the wait on the Lord to change his heart. And I remember praying, Lord, if you want me to go back, you've got to change my heart. And the Lord can do it, can he not? And he did. Gave me a love for the people, love for the place, love for the culture. Um, and there are things in every culture to love, about every culture. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're first a missionary, you go to a place and you say, man, this is crazy. Why do these people do this like this? And by the time you leave, you come back to America and you say, man, these Americans are crazy. Why do they do this like this? What's, what's changed? God's changed the missionary. That's right. So the first act of preparation is, 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 is to wait on the Lord. And you'll notice the text says that each person received this tongue of fire on themselves. The point is that you young people have gifts that God has given you to answer the needs in many parts of the world. I'm going to share with you how at the end. Then the second thing is, as you know, Elder Ramos preached powerfully last night, they were unified in their desire to do God's will. And third, they each, yeah, they each individually receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They each receive gifts from the Holy Spirit. So someone else's gift in mission may not be yours, but God has given you the gift just the same. And their lack was supplied, and they were given the ability to effectively communicate the gospel to those who had never heard, who had never heard the gospel. And, you know, the, the Bible says, as we read on, that there were devout men, Jews from all over the Roman Empire, who were in Jerusalem. And it says, as we read on in verses 5 through 13, they could not understand why they were hearing the gospel in their own language. And inquiring, searching minds are often, and there are devout minds, devout people in every religion who are seeking God. Whether they, whether they can articulate that or not. Inquiring, searching minds are often at a loss to account for what they see, what they've seen and heard of the Holy Spirit's working. So people, they, because of their worldview, because they did not understand the gospel, the promise of God to pour out His Spirit, when they heard the gospel in their own language, they couldn't understand what was happening. And so they explained it the best way they could. And do you remember what the explanation was? What was it? Oh, these guys are drunk. And, you know, that's a good illustration of human attempts to describe God's working. They're woefully inadequate. And people uh, cannot understand, they cannot understand how God is working and their explanation of it. You know, some, some may say, well, was it that they were just saying that off the cuff? I think they really couldn't understand what was happening. Many couldn't understand. And as people try to look at what God is doing, uh, they, don't, they don't understand. And God does something. He prepares you and me to share the gospel with them. Now, there was a time um, after we'd been in the mission field for some years when we uh, praise God that a church has been, been raised up. And we, we shared with the people all the time no matter what your background, whether you were a former Muslim, a former Christian, a former animist, we're, we're a family. We take care of each other. We seek to model what Acts 2 was like, the church in Acts, where we share, we support each other. You understand, in the Muslim world, when people come to Christ, some lose everything. I was talking to a pastor in one country, and he said, um, when I came to Christ, I, uh, I was a Muslim. I went to my, my dad. I told him I've become a Christian. And that day, I was kicked out of the house. Now, as a young man, I had nowhere to go. I went to the church, and the church told me, okay, we'll tell you what. Let, wait, we're going to... He said this was the beginning of the week. They said, wait, we're going to have a board meeting on Wednesday after prayer meeting, and we'll let you know what, what to do. He said, for three days, I was sleeping under a mango tree. Eating mangoes, that's all, that's all I had. And so, um, people uh, don't know, um, as they see the, the work of the Holy Spirit, aren't sure 
um, what is happening. So there was a time we'd raise up this church, and we said, you have, because many of you have suffered to come to Christ, we have to play, the church has to play the role in many respects of a family to support each other, at least temporarily, until there could be reconciliation with the family, if possible, or, um, or you can get on your feet and uh, make your own uh, life. So, one of the church members was, fell sick. She said, Pastor, I'm, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go to the hospital. And um, I'll, I'll be back hopefully in another day or two. I said to her, okay, fine. I'll come and see you in the hospital tomorrow. Um, I hope everything goes well. Now, I knew that this church member had AIDS to scourge around the world, and she had come from a, a background that... Uh, we don't know how she got AIDS. Her, her husband had several wives, and um, she'd come to the church, come to Christ, and, and brought all of her family in. She'd never told us that she did, but we knew that we knew we saw the antiretroviral drug she was taking. We knew she was sick. But she wasn't terribly sick. I mean, she just, just you know, cold or something. She said, I'm just going to get a, an IV, and uh, hopefully I'll be better tomorrow. I said, okay. The next day I went to the hospital, and... It was apparent this lady was dying. I said, wait a minute here, what's happening? And her daughter was beside the bed crying, her oldest daughter crying, holding um, her mother's hand. Her mother was very incoherent. And I looked at the IV, and I figured out what was happening. Um, Many times um, in this particular country, uh, when when the doctors determined that that, uh, someone... um, I shouldn't say many times, but sometimes in this country, doctors determine that a person needs to be euthanized. Uh, they will administer a very strong dose of quinine. And, of course, quinine without glucose or sugar makes the blood sugar level drop precipitously, and uh, people go into shock and often pass. So I figured that that's what was happening. And... Uh, I began to scream and to holler, hey, where's the doctor? Where's the doctor? Where's the doctor? Moving all around, um, I got, got the nurse I knew and, and told him, hey, get a doctor, get a doctor. A doctor didn't come. Finally, sometime later, a, a doctor friend of ours came and he grabbed my hand and said, Mark, hey, you're a, you're a pastor. He said, I want to tell you something. So he grabbed my hand and we're walking hand in hand. He's a close friend. And he said, this lady, you know she has... She has, she's HIV positive. I said, yes. I knew that. She doesn't know I know it, but I know it. And, and he confirmed for me what I had suspected, that you know, they were putting her to sleep. I looked at him. I grabbed him. I said, doctor, this Muslim doctor friend of mine, bring her back. Can you bring her back? He looked at me and said, Mark, I don't know. He wasn't the doctor that was doing the care, but he, he knew of her case. And he must have ordered some care uh, for her, but for a week or two, this lady hovered between life and death. They moved her off to a, a room where they, kind of like the hospice, where they expected her to pass. But the ladies of the church, my, my wife got the ladies of the church together and said, okay, now this is our chance to care for this lady. In the hospitals there, they didn't, they don't, they don't uh, you have to feed, you have to wash your, your patient, you have to do, of course, she wasn't eating. Um, you have to do everything. They just come to administer the, the medications. So they came to, um, so, so the ladies were take, keeping a round-the-clock vigil, and uh, they were taking care of her, and, and she, was, she was almost gone. I remember one night calling her children and uh, saying, and actually going to visit them and saying, hey, um, you guys better get ready for the worst. And I remember the oldest daughter, who's now, uh, all of her children are converts now, and, and uh, in the church, and have studied, and, and helping the church grow in their country. But she, uh, she began to cry. She said, no, she, she can't die, Pastor. She's not going to die. She can't die. She said, uh, because of the situation, my father's left us, and he hates us, and who's going who's gonna to keep the family together if our mother passes? So I uh, went away shaking my head. Well, to make a long story short, the ladies kept an around-the-clock vigil they, night and day. Ladies from different tribes, from different language groups, uh, from different religious backgrounds. We're all one. 
They would sing songs with the lady who would watch her. She would wash her and, and watch her. She was just really close to death, just, you know, semi-comatose. Then one day the ladies were singing a song in, in the local language. And from way off where this lady was, way, way back in the back of her throat, you could hear her trying to follow along with the song. Uh, it was a long and difficult road back, but she made it. She lived. I was just over there a few months ago, and she's doing fine. Praise God. Amen? But the, the point of why I told you that story was, here is a Muslim community that's watching this little group of Christians, Adventists. They've never seen Christians before. The doctor came to me later, and he said, what you Adventists did, he said, I've never seen that before. He said, you know even families don't do what your church did for that individual. Now, the, the, the church there runs a little school. It was a school that was started for the Adventist children that were growing up there. But that year, many, many, many of the doctors in that hospital and medical workers brought their kids to the school, knocking down the doors to get their kids in the school. But they could not account in their minds for the working of the Holy Spirit. So they began to ask questions. That very doctor told my colleague, he didn't tell me, the very doctor told my colleague sometime later, he said, uh, if ever I become a Christian, I'll become an Adventist. You make, you make faith in God so simple. They couldn't account for what they saw. Their best explanations could not account for it. So when they... When they um, see the working of the Holy Spirit through God's people, they begin to ask questions. And this is where you and I come in. That last section, or the last section we'll concentrate on today, of um, uh, Acts chapter 2, says that Peter stood up and began to explain to the people what was happening. God had prepared his servant to be able to talk and tell the people what they were seeing of God's power. God had prepared Peter and the disciples through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the experience of being emptied of self, through the disappointment even that they'd, they'd gone through. He now gives them the ability to explain to people what they're seeing, what they don't understand the problems that their worldview creates in the world. All of these things God prepares his missionaries to do. My question is this, like Paul asked in Romans, but if a missionary doesn't go, how will they ever understand? Why would anyone want to become a missionary? The world is suffering under the weight of its sin. And as we read, God has given us the ability, through cooperation with him, to bring this scene of suffering to a close. Amen. So you may be, future missionary, the answer to someone's prayer. I can, I can tell you, there are people, and you know, there are people all over the world looking to heaven, longing for answers to the problems of life. Now, we have problems of life here. We all have them. But we also have the answers that are found in the Word of God. These people are resourceless in the spiritual sense. They do not have the answers. But there's a price to pay for the missionary to get to the point where he can or she can answer that question. And the question comes back to you and me. Are we willing to pay that price? You know, um, now I'm just going to present a few problems to you and ask what you would do uh, to solve them. So you're raising up a church as a missionary. Let's assume you're, you're a missionary in a country. You're raising up a little church. And around the world, 70% of the church is young, below 30, 35, years, below 35, 30 years of age. Um, so issues of, of the young people, are good, issues, issues of education are big. Issues of uh, marriage and family, starting families, issues of getting started in life, especially for those 
who lose or, uh, family support when they come to Christ. These are all issues uh, of the church. Now, in, in the uh, part of the world uh, where people have not had the opportunity, generally speaking, to hear the gospel, what do you do when you have a small little group of people, mostly young people, and they've finished high school, they want to go to college, but the church in their country maybe has 20, 30, 40 people, maybe 200. There's no college for them to go to. Also, Sabbath is a big problem because they can't finish their educations often unless they compromise on the Sabbath and go to school on Sabbath. They certainly can't take the national exams because national exams fall on Sabbath. Yet they cling to the Lord. They've, they've come to Christ. They've converted to Christianity. They follow him. They're following the three angels' messages. What do you do? Now, I'm going to open the floor up. You can just... Um, I could give you a mic, but that's all right. You just... Yeah, okay, we can. Let me shut this off. You can turn that on. Okay. I'd like to ask you, what would you do for young people? You want to educate them. You want to make sure that the church grows and, and strengthens. What do you do? We're, we're getting to the, another answer of why anyone would think about being a missionary. Does someone have an idea? Begin to pray. Begin to pray. That's, yeah, that's a good one. That's the, that's the bottom line. Wait on the Lord. But what do you do aside from praying? Start a school. Very good. Um, okay, someone says start a school. Who agrees with that? Start a school. What if you don't have any teachers? Find some. Find some missionaries. Amen. <laughs> yes, sir. Technology in that country to allow for. It says on. Yeah. It's okay. Study or the infrastructure not adequate. Depending on the the language, there may not be the the infrastructure. Uh, there's not a whole lot in. Um, we study that option. There's not a whole lot in French um, for for uh, in places like that. And then and then unless you're in the capital, and uh, we weren't unless you're in the capital, there's no way. There's no infrastructure to support online. Yes, sir. Are there any neighboring countries with similar languages that have access to higher education? Yeah, definitely. Ghana, beautiful country, beautiful uh, a university there, a wonderful university. But here's the, here's the challenge. Your church is young. Do you choose who to send? And if you do choose who to send, or if you try to send everybody, say you could, what happens to your church? It's gone. It's gone. So you, you kind of get an idea of the challenges that, that a missionary faces. What do you do? Anyone else? Well, you, yes? The question is, is it vitally important if they have um, a college education, or is it more economically a decision where they get their high school equivalency, or something that is practical application in their specific environment. Very good, very good. You're absolutely right. And uh, actually, um, what, what we did is um, created a, I say it sounds easy, doesn't it? Worked really hard for a couple of years to create a high school equivalency test uh, for those kids who were struggling with Sabbath, and um, took it to the government. Uh, you know, it, when you dream... And you, you, you try something for the Lord. You know, God opens doors. Amen? He does miracles. We took it to the government. The government looked at this and said, whoa, this is neat. Make this available to the whole country. Wow. So suddenly there in that country, there's an open door for young people who have been kicked out of the system because of Sabbath to, to um, at least finish their high school education. And the first graduate uh, who did this is now studying for the ministry in uh, another country, Cameroon. Um, and he will be one of the first. In fact, we have no uh, indigenous Seventh-day Adventist pastors in that country. He will be one of the first. Praise God. But here's the point. There are all these needs around the world, and there is no one to address them. 
Why would anyone want to be a missionary? We want to see this suffering come to an end as quickly as we can. We can't do much, but we can do our part. Amen? And you know what? You say, I'm not a preacher. I can't be a preacher. Listen, being a missionary takes, for me, takes all the creativity of an artist. You've got to be able to look at problems and by the grace of God, think creatively how they're going to be solved. You need all of the, the, sometimes you need the secretiveness and the skill of a spy. Because if you're going into a country that's closed, that's closed to the gospel, you've got to find a way to get in there and to reach the people and to stay undercover. You may need all of the ingenuity of an engineer. You know, there are so many opportunities for people to work in development and relief. And to get into countries that a regular missionary can't get into. In a development and relief organization. And be a tent maker missionary. and Find ways to get the gospel to people. People are hungry. They're answering. They're seeking answers for their problems. And solutions to their problems. And you have been given the answers in the word of God. Amen? But how will they hear Unless you go. So God had prepared Peter to answer the people's questions. When they saw the working of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't account for it. When the world sees things happening, when they see the working of the Holy Spirit, they can't account for it often. And God has prepared you and me as missionaries to give the gospel uh, to people. It takes, definitely to be a missionary, it takes the, the, the determination of the professional athlete. You know, being a missionary takes uh, learning just like any other profession. And you got to show up at work every day. And many days are monotonous, difficult. But to be a missionary, you got to show up at work every day and learn. Learn the culture. Learn the language. Learn to understand the people. Learn to understand what, what, what people are thinking uh, when they hear the gospel, how they think. Um, being a missionary... takes every gift and talent and skill that God has given each of us. There are people somewhere in the world who need to hear the gospel and need the gifts that you have. No, we're not all called to be missionaries, but a lot more of us are called than are going. The needs are great. Maybe God is calling you. So why would you be a missionary? Why would anyone answer the call to be a missionary? Number one is the world is suffering. Number two is God has bidden us to go. And he's empowered us to give real answers from the word of God to the questions people have. And you will find that when people find the answers... Their lives are changed when they cling on, hold on to it. And I'll just share one last story with you. We were in a Guinea, and we had, I don't know, over at the very beginning, three or four people coming to church every Sabbath. We were just worshiping in one of our homes. And a gentleman came to church, and it's a funny way. The way he came to church was our student missionary. We had a student missionary, and she had a pet monkey. Her monkey got a broken leg. And she said, we're going to go look for a veterinarian. I said, you won't find a veterinarian in this town. She said, well, we're going to try to find one. Well, she and one of our colleagues went. They found a vet veterinarian of all places. I didn't know we, they, they had a veterinarian there. But he began to ask them, what, what are you doing here, you foreign young lady? Why, why are you here? She began to explain she was a missionary. And he said, wait a minute, you're with what? You, uh, we're, we're, I'm with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we're, um, I'm here. I'm teaching uh, missionary kids. And... He said, do you have a church? Well, there's a few of us that are meeting. Well, that following Sabbath, that doctor who had traveled outside of his country to study outside of Guinea, uh, to study, he actually studied in the Soviet Union and been other places and had um, heard of the church, he said, I'm coming. He came that Sabbath to our little group of three or four people, and he never missed another Sabbath. Here's the thing. This man, in his travels, had become a terrible alcoholic. And one, that, that day, he came to me and said, hey, he said, I want to ask you a question. So we were standing, I can remember now, standing at the bottom of the steps in front of the house. And he said, um, what does your Bible teach about alcohol? I was like, whoa, what a question. Said, 
Do I give, it, give him the soft answer or do I just give it to him straight? I said, let me just give it to him straight. So I told him what the Bible says. And he looked at me almost with tears in his eyes, kind of trembling. He said, you know what? He said, I've asked a lot of Christians the same question. He said, you're the first one that told me what the Bible really says. And he said, you know what? I want to show you something. He opened a book. In French, you call it agenda. It's a calendar book. He opened his calendar book. And he said, look, I want to show you all the times I've tried to stop drinking and all these things I've written down. He said, now I know what the Bible says. Friends, he was empowered to stop drinking. Not only that, but he'd been estranged from his family, his children. His, he had grown children. His wife was way off, a thousand kilometers away in another part of the country. They'd been estranged for years. People watched this man change. People in town began to ask questions. Dr. Andre is in your church and he's, he's stopped drinking? His wife came to live with him again. His children uh, were reconciled with their father. All because this man asked a question that was burning. He hadn't yet found the answer to. When he got it from the word of God, it changed his life. How would he have heard unless God had missionaries in place to answer his question? What happened? He brought his nephew to church. And soon the nephew brought friends. And friends brought friends. And the church grew to close to 50 people. Church, uh, the school grew out of that, and now the school has three or four hundred students, all because one man had a question answered from the Word of God. How will they hear unless someone goes? He was failing in health, and he eventually died. But as a result of his testimony as the first person, the church that was left behind is going on and growing, and the gospel is growing in that country. Why would anyone want to be a missionary? Let me turn that question around. Why would anyone not want to be a missionary? To see the power and the hand of God. Now, as we close, I just want to ask uh, my colleague to share a a quick uh, story answering this very question. And then if you have any questions, we can uh, take questions. a few questions, and tomorrow, the next uh, session we'll talk about who's called to be a missionary, and we're going to talk about some really interesting stories, um, how God called some individuals. Go ahead. Thank you, Mark. You know, um, he asked me to talk about the reason why to be a missionary, and he covered it very well, you know, the suffering in the world and that God calls us. I'd like to share with you a couple of reasons why not to go. Um, You know, um, people say, well, they want to travel. That's not a good reason to go. If you want to travel, just buy a ticket and go somewhere and enjoy. You do not want to go uh, as a missionary if you just want to travel. Uh, Exotic countries, you want to visit exotic countries, just go visit an exotic country. Don't don't go there because that's where you think that 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 would be so cool to live. Learning a language, Rosetta Stone, trust me. Um, immersion is a wonderful way to learn language. Adventure. If you want adventure, going to another country, you'll get plenty of adventure, but there's other ways to get adventure. Um, what you're going to find really, and, um, and it's been my experience, is uh, malaria, amoebic dysentery, lice, extreme heat, theft, and other sicknesses. In this last month, we suffered the first death at Adventist Frontier Missions that we've ever had. Um, Yes, it could happen. You could die as a missionary. Is it worth it? I think so. I think so. Um, You know, one of the real reasons why I would go, and I am going again, we've accepted a call to be in Nepal, Cambodia, and and, uh, the Philippines, as uh, field directors. The real reason is because when I left Cambodia, several people came up to me and said, I wouldn't have known, my family wouldn't have known Jesus unless you came. That is the real reason to go. Um, 
Justin McNeilis said yesterday, God qualifies you because of the call. And you will be inadequate. I don't care how much education you have. And the reason, the reason why is because of the call. And that you're already qualified. And I'll tell you, God will continue to qualify you as you go. I remember learning so much from the natives, just as Mark said, the natives knew. A true reason, another true reason to go is 40,000 people die every day without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this is an old statistic. I've been saying this for 10 years. Um, No way for them to know unless Jesus goes. Go to a place where no way they will know unless Jesus Unless we go and tell them about Jesus. And lastly, because I want, to, I want to be where Jesus wants me to be when he comes back. I don't want to be somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. I want to answer his call and be where he wants me to be. And I want to leave a legacy for my children and my grandchildren. That's the other thing. The needs are great. If you go on a short-term mission trip, look at, the, look at the need. Sometimes two weeks isn't enough to get true culture shock. It takes about three or four months. So if you're going to go on a short-term mission trip, don't make it two weeks. Make it three or four months. Really get your feet wet. And um, God will bless you, and you'll know why after those three or four months is up. Everywhere I've been, all over every country I've ever been in, the needs are great. We live in a facade in the United States most people do not have porcelain toilets like across the hall right here. It's a pit in the ground, and it's, 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 it's nasty, and there's all kinds of wild stuff climbing in and out of it. And um, I'm not trying to scare you away from missions. I'm trying to encourage you to think what God would have you do, and he will, you'll be able to overcome any obstacle. And as we close, I think we're right at the end here. Are there one or two questions that we can take in the last two minutes or so? No questions? I guess that's a good sign. Yes. What is the best indicator that you are being called? What is the best indicator that you are being called? I think it has to be an internal sense that God has called you. And that internal sense has to be, doesn't have to be a feeling. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a flight of ecstasy. But it needs to be a conviction that this is what God has called me to. And I tell you why, because when the difficult days come as a missionary... That conviction is what keeps you there. That conviction that Jesus had is what kept him on the cross. He knew why he had come to this earth. He knew the purpose that God had sent him for. And he stuck with it through faith. That's what the missionary has to do. So the greatest evidence, I believe, is an internal conviction. It could be from reading, the pen of inspiration, from reading the Bible, from looking at conditions in the world. But... Um, And then that conviction will be, I believe, God will answer prayers. He will give signs. But after all is said and done, it's that conviction based on our faith in the word of God and his work in our lives. That conviction is what keeps the missionary on task. Yes, there was a question over here in the back. I guess this is a question for both you and your wife. Did you both get the um, call at the same time? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, in the, in the sense, did, or was there a period of time that you, you know, does one wait on the other, yeah. and, and, or do you say, hey, by the way, I got this call, and are you hearing the same thing we're going, you know, how, how that happened? That's a good question. Actually, um, we had been missionaries for five years at first, right at the beginning of our marriage in, uh, in Southeast Asia, and uh, we'd had a good time, but we came back, and we were pastoring here in the States and had a wonderful time, and, and I felt this conviction again. And uh, spurred largely by the needs, the, the abundance of gospel work here and then the needs overseas. And so I told my wife one day, you know, why don't we consider being a missionary again? She looked at me and said, mm, I don't think so. And 
I prayed and I had to wait. And it was a time of praying and waiting and, and uh, just continuing ministry. And then one day, just out of nowhere, I came home. Yes, we can do it. I just, oh man, I, I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And praise the Lord, when, when she sensed a conviction, uh, we, were, we started making plans again. So yes, for us it was a, a waiting and a, yeah. But we were both convicted. And I think it's very important if you're going as a couple that you both feel, I mean, that you both know that you are led by God. Because it's true, when the problems come and you will face many problems, you won't have to point the finger and say, oh, it was because of you, you led us out here. I followed you here. um, But when you know that God has led you, no matter what difficulty you face, you can continue in it. And it's a beautiful thing to know that, okay, this is a hurdle only. Whatever it is, this is a hurdle, and we are here to serve God because we want others to be one to Christ. So it's very important that both people have a conviction if you're a couple. You know, and, that's a, that's, and I'll close with this. That is um, a blessing to me to hear my wife say that because there was a time she was, some of you may know the story, I don't know if you do, um, but she was attacked by a monkey while we were there, got a terrible infection. And uh, was close to losing her life. And I thought we were finished. We came home, and we were, what, eight or ten months. She had surgery and rehabilitation to get this arm working again and get this hand um, functioning after a fashion. And uh, I remember looking at her one day. She was kind of in this delirium from taking pain medication before her physical therapy sessions. And I looked at her, and I'm almost in tears. And I said, you know what? Let's come back to the States. I can pastor again, and we can just kind of... She looked at me and shaking in tears, kind of affected by the medication. She said, don't say that. As soon as I get better, we're going back. And, and we did. And we did. That sense of conviction has to be there. May God bless you. Tomorrow we'll talk about who. Who's called to be a missionary. And we'll talk, look at two different um, uh, people who were called and their circumstances. God bless you. Thank you for attending. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.